Welcome back to The Look and Sound of Leadership, an ongoing series of executive coaching tips designed to help you be perceived in the workplace the way you want to be perceived. I'm Tom Henschel, your executive coach, and today we're talking about your team's best interests. This is the second part of a two-part podcast. After two of Brendan's direct reports transferred to other divisions and another left the company, I became concerned that Brendan might be the sort of boss reflected in the saying, people don't quit their jobs, they quit their bosses. He and I began discussing how leaders can demonstrate they have their employees' best interests at heart. Over time, we discussed 11 different behaviors. I introduced five in last month's podcast. Here are the other six. Number one, be the resource they need. In an entertainment company, a vice president of operations repeatedly complained to me that she couldn't get on her boss's calendar. Instead, she resorted to lengthy emails that she suspected went unread. In a financial management company, a department head was responsible for weekly reports that the traders and risk managers used. He worked almost every weekend because data from one group was consistently delivered late. When his peer in that group failed to address the problem, he asked his boss to exert pressure on that group's boss. But nothing changed. In a retail company, a director believed her promotion was imminent. All she needed was for her boss to sign off on her performance review. The problem was that she'd worked for her boss for four years and had never received even one performance review. In each case, the resource the employees needed was their boss's time or advocacy. Even though you, like so many others, may struggle under a do-more-with-less workload, you need to prioritize the legitimate needs of your direct reports. To show your employees you have their best interests at heart, you need to be available to them. As a resource, no one can substitute for you. That was number one. Be the resource they need. Here's number two. Provide professional development. Denise was charged with creating a new team that would pursue one specific customer group. After she'd established the team, she carved out three hours each month for them to become a learning community. They practiced presenting in front of each other, and they received video feedback. Her commitment to the team's professional development was undeniable, and she put herself in front of the group to receive feedback, too. As a boss, providing the budget for learning isn't enough. You need to create a culture for it, too. Do you attend conferences and classes? If so, I'd guess you urge your direct reports to attend their own learning events. And I would also guess that they view attendance as a perk and an investment the company is making in them. I've never forgotten the vice president who, at an off-site with two dozen of his team members, chided all of them. Each one of you, he said, has a budget for your own professional development, and not one of you used your entire budget last year. You have to do better this year. That's a great message, don't you think? Make your direct reports put their own professional development high on their priority list. Number three, offer career development. When Wendy and I first met, she asked me more questions about myself than any other client before or since. I didn't feel she was grilling me. Rather, 
I sensed she wanted to know who I was and how I fit into the pattern of people she'd met throughout her life. People interested Wendy. I came to find out that her interest in people led her to schedule time with each of her direct reports that was specifically dedicated to discussing their careers. I wasn't surprised when the vice president of human resources told me that the company was peppered with people Wendy had helped place. Another leader gave all his direct reports the book Strength Finders 2.0 and followed up with a one-on-one -on -one meeting to talk about how their strengths might influence their future opportunities. Having an eye on your direct report's careers is different from supporting their professional development. Professional development gives people skills to be more effective in the job they have today. Focusing on someone's career, however, aims at a time in the future when your direct report may no longer be your direct report or may not even be in the same company or the same business. When you focus on someone's career, you step out of the role of boss. You align yourself shoulder to shoulder with your employee, both facing that person's future. Aligning yourself beside your employee means subordinating your immediate business needs and focusing on what's best for that person's long-range growth and satisfaction. It's not easy, but it is absolutely in that person's best interest. So number three is to offer your people career development. Here's number four. Be fair. Daniel was a poor hire, but his boss, Rebecca, was concerned that if she let him go, she wouldn't be allowed to replace him. She was determined to help him succeed. Four months later, her team began to fall apart because no one else on her team was getting her attention. Roger had the opposite tendency. When he identified a high performer, that person gained all sorts of opportunities and access, and, as his team well knew, he would dismiss and minimize other people's accomplishments. Being fair is difficult, because the various players on your team aren't equal. People naturally have a wide range of performance. But would it be fair to treat your high performers and your low performers the same? I don't think so. What concerned me for both Rebecca and Roger was that they weren't conscious of how they were allocating their time and how they were impacting their team. To let people know you really have their best interests at heart, choose thoughtfully how you're going to treat your high potentials, your low performers, and the bulk of the folk in between. For example, if you could give only a few of your people coaches, would you give coaches to the highest performers as a reward or to your lowest performers as remedial treatment? Whatever you decide, would you be willing to make the same choice consistently over a period of years? After all, people feel fairness or unfairness most deeply when a pattern emerges over time. That was number four. Be fair. Number five, tell your team how to succeed with you. Managing your boss is the name of an article that was first published in Harvard Business Review back in 1979 by John Cotter and John Gabarro. It became an instant classic, and it's been updated and republished two times since. I value the article so highly, I posted a podcast about it in August 2008. 
In the Harvard Business Review article, the authors urge employees to understand the boss's work style, goals, strengths, and pressures. Without that understanding, they say, a manager is, quote, flying blind, and unnecessary conflict, misunderstanding, and problems are inevitable, close quote. Did you hear that? Inevitable. Yikes. Well, one way to avoid those problems is for you to proactively tell your reports, here's how to succeed with me. Then your employees can use that knowledge to develop their relationship with you. Clients often tell me how they like to receive information or how they want people to prep for staff meetings or how often they want to be updated about certain projects. And when their direct reports don't do those things, they become understandably upset. But when I ask, have you told your people what you've told me? What I often hear is, well, I shouldn't have to tell them. Really? Why not? Did you hire a team of clairvoyants? If you were so easy to read, they'd probably already be giving you what you want. I doubt they come to work every day aiming to annoy you. So this is number five. Communicate clearly how your direct reports can succeed with you. This is one more way to have your employees' best interests at heart. By the way, that article, Managing Your Boss, is available on the Harvard Business Review website for a nominal fee. If you've never seen it, it's well worth it. All right, here's number six. Share the view from your vantage point. Andrew was a senior manager at a global software company. His buddy, Rohith, was a peer in a related business group. Over lunches, Rohith repeatedly told Andrew information that affected both their groups, but which Andrew had never heard. When he would ask his boss about it, the boss would confirm, yes, it was true. It became apparent that Rohith's boss told her team what had happened in her boss's staff meetings. On the other hand... Andrew's boss, who attended the same staff meetings, kept the information to himself. No matter how large or small your organization is, you have information that your employees don't have. Strategic information about the company's future, cultural information about who can open certain doors, personal wisdom that you've gained during your career. The information you have may seem obvious and mundane to you, but it's completely inaccessible to your employees. When you share appropriate information with them, you broaden their vision, deepen their knowledge, and you show that you have their best interests at heart. That's number six. Share the view from your vantage point. Let me close by telling you about Brendan. Early in our discussion, he let me know that the two employees who had transferred out of his group had both done so at his urging so they could capitalize on opportunities, and the person who'd left the company had done so with Brendan's hearty recommendation. Brendan allayed my original concerns that he was the sort of boss people can't wait to get away from, but we pursued this conversation in depth because having his team's best interests at heart was a subject he cared deeply about. He and I agreed that not every one of these 11 behaviors will be right for every leader in every company, nor would they be meaningful to every employee. But in each case, they require that the leader think about the employees 
from their point of view. Putting your team's best interests first is a powerful way to model the look and sound of leadership. Over the years, I've posted many podcasts to help you be a better manager of your people, including last month's podcast that was part one of this one. That was called Your Team's Best Interest, Part One. Five other podcasts that you might find helpful are Messaging During Hard Times, Performance Reviews, Managing Bad Behavior, Resolving Conflict, and the one I mentioned earlier, Managing Your Boss. Those podcasts and all our others can be found on the Essential Communications website, EssentialCom.com. That's EssentialCom with two M's dot com. From our homepage, click the navigation button marked Coaching Tips. That will take you to an archive of all our podcasts. When you're there, you can search the archive by categories that interest you, and one of those categories is Management Skills. There are more than two dozen tips in that category to help you develop these critical skills. From the website, you can also download every tip as a PDF to save for yourself or forward to others. Our podcasts are also available through iTunes. Just search for The Look and Sound of Leadership. Until next time, I'm Tom Henschel. Thanks so much for listening.